Marital conflict is normal, natural, and it's even necessary. That might seem like a ridiculous claim, but by the end of today's episode, we guarantee you'll never look at conflict the same way again. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charla Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Welcome to the episode. First, let's talk about our giveaway. Um, I wanted to talk about your sexy radio voice. <laughs> well, my voice does get a little deeper when I get more tired, and I was on a late plane last night. So <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, congratulations to everyone who gets to hear my voice today. And congratulations. And congratulations. So we need to announce the winners of our giveaway. Yes. Congratulations to Bernadette who won our grand prize. She also won an eight-week live coaching program, plus some other really awesome prizes. And also a big congratulations for seven runners-up. Additionally, enrollment is also now open for our Master Your Marriage Live online couples coaching program. This is a perfect fit for busy parents, busy couples, who just can't seem to find the time to get away for one of our retreats but are still looking for ways to strengthen their relationship. Yeah, so let me tell you about it. Couples in this program are going to receive a personalized assessment of their relationship, and then we're going to work on strengthening each of the eight pillars, including things like managing conflict, aligning values, strengthening friendship and intimacy. You'll get direct access to ask us any questions, and you'll get discounts on any private coaching that you might want to um, do. And also... For the first 10 couples who enroll, we're offering a 50% off discount on the cost of the enrollment with the discount code PODCAST. And we already have a couple of enrollments, so you're going to want to grab that discount soon by visiting our website at MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com forward slash MYM423 or just visit the show notes for direct links. It's going to be amazing. Okay, so today mm -hmm. we're going to talk about conflict. Why do we have it? What is its purpose? Is it normal? Is it functional? Is it dysfunctional? What is dysfunctional when it comes to conflict? And you probably think that Charles and I never have conflict. <laughs> do we even disagree on things? Uh, yes, we definitely still have disagreements. Imagine that. So while I wouldn't say that we argue, and we have done that in the past, but mm -hmm. More, it seems like we disagree on some things. However, we do have one disagreement that seems like just never really goes away. Yeah, no, it just keeps circling around. It's always the same version of how strict or how we should raise our son, who is the last of our four kids. Right. So who, by the way, is an amazing kid. He's a great kid. He's a great kid. And I told him we're going to be talking about him. We got permission. But he did say he wanted us to make sure we bragged on him a little bit. So I do have to say he's one of the most kind-hearted, grateful kids that you'll ever meet. I always get phone calls from parents when he visits his friend's house that always call me to tell me how thoughtful he is and how grateful and gracious he is when he's there. And yet he is still a 14-year-old boy, which means there's times when he can be a little lazy, 
where Robert expects him to just go shovel the snow off of the front walkway without being asked. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's there. And, you know, I'm a little bit more of a realist. Like, what 14-year-old is actually going to notice that and go just do it without being asked? He also loves to procrastinate his schoolwork until the last day of the semester. Last second of the semester. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think I was exactly the same way. I was the same way. It's fine. I'm sure you were. Yeah. And of course, he spends too much time on video games and that kind of thing. You know, normal 14-year-old boy stuff. And for me, as the parent role, I kind of get a little bit laid back about some things. I tend to let him make choices and let him make mistakes so that he can experience those consequences and learn from them. Because I've kind of come to the conclusion that kids learn when they decide to learn, not when I decide they need to learn. So I do let a lot of things just go. Whereas Robert can be a little bit more, what's the word? Responsible. Responsible? I was thinking maybe like intense. I was thinking responsible. Okay, I'll I'll go along with that. So we frequently disagree on how to parent him in certain situations, but if we're to look at it from an overarching 30,000 foot view, we both actually want the same things. We obviously want to prepare him for adulthood. We want him to be a kind, good human who cares about people someone who has compassion for others, acts and responds with love. It's just we have different viewpoints on how to do that. Yeah. And guess what? What? That's probably never going to change. We're probably never going to actually see eye to eye when it comes to all aspects of parenting. And guess what? Here's the magic words. We actually don't need to. We don't need to. We don't? No. Huh. Well, now in your relationship, you're probably thinking, we have one of these things that we just, or several of these things that we just can't seem to get over and, and they keep cropping up. And no matter how hard you try to avoid them, you just keep having the same circular arguments like, here we go again, we're going to have a conversation about X, Y, or Z. And these are called perpetual problems or perpetual conflicts. Perpetual, perpetual in perpetuity, right? And so we're going to tell you probably the most comforting words that anyone can say. You ready? You are normal. Because everybody has them. Yeah, everybody has them. When Dr. John Gottman was studying couples, he brought them into his love lab, which was sort of like a 24-hour Airbnb, hooked them up to heart rate monitors, and, and he recorded their interactions, watched them have disagreements. And then he brought those same couples back year after year after year because this was a longitudinal study. And he started to notice a pattern. He started to notice that the same couples were disagreeing or having a conflict discussion about exactly the same things year after year after year. And their hair and their clothes might change and they might get a little bit older. But you know what didn't change? Hmm. Maybe the problems that they talked about. The problems they talked about didn't change. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's how they discovered that 69%, that's a big number, 69% of conflicts in a relationship are perpetual. That's almost seven out of 10 disagreements. So these are problems that don't really get fully solved. Maybe you compromise a little bit, but they don't really get fully solved because they aren't solvable, which means that only about 31% of marital conflicts are actually solvable. 
That's a crappy number. You think we'd solve problems better than that? 31%? Well, we're going to talk about why. We can only solve 31% of the problems. We'll explain why in a second. All right. So there's an old belief in therapy that problems needed to be solved. See, I, I still was thinking that, right? But it's not true. And instead, we learn to manage our problems. We learn to dialogue about our problems, not solve them 69% of times. And when we explain this to couples, they're just sort of like minds blown. There's immense set of relief. They're like, you mean we don't have to keep we don't have to keep fighting over these problems. We don't have to solve them. They thought there was something wrong with them because they're just bringing up the same problems over and over again. Or one of them's being too hard-headed and one of them's not willing to compromise. Yeah. Nope. You're normal. Yep. You are normal. So the successful couples in this study, the masters, they had perpetual problems 69% of the time. And guess what? The unsuccessful couples, the disasters, they had perpetual problems 69%, 69 of the time. So you see, regardless of which category you fit into, about 7 out of 10 of your conflicts aren't going to be totally solvable. So what then is the difference between the masters and the disasters? The difference is how they do their conflicts. Exactly. Do they disagree in a way that is positive and functional, or do they disagree in a way that's toxic and dysfunctional? Yeah. How they disagree is what can make or break their marriage or relationship. Ooh, say that again. How you disagree is what can make or break your marriage or relationship. Absolutely. Let's look at why we disagree because I think it's important and it helps us find compromise and develop empathy. That's right. So first we have to recognize that no two people are going to see or interpret the world exactly the same way. So in his book called Flow, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Yes, I just nailed that you name. Just nailed it. I yep. did. He says that we receive about two million bits of information from our environment every second, and that information comes through each of our five senses. But out of that two million bits of information, the conscious mind can only process about one hundred and thirty bits per second. So that's like that's like drinking from a fire hose. When you only need just a little sip of water. Absolutely. You got all of this hitting you and you're only able to take in, you're only able to take in just a little bit of information. Right. So every second, two million bits of information yep. are happening around you in your five senses. Yet our conscious brain is only capable of paying attention to 130 bits. So what's that? How much are we losing out on? We're losing out on 1,999,870 <laughs> bits of information that just goes right past us every second. And the chances right. that you and your spouse are going to notice the same little tiny 130 bits of information in all of that information is, is almost nil. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And it even gets better than that. So in NLP, we have something called the model of communication. And you don't need to remember that. I just want you to know where this comes from. And what it says is that that little tiny fraction of information that actually makes its way through gets further distorted, generalized, and biased by our individual filters. And our filters consist of things like our memories, our experiences, our beliefs, and our values. So let's put this into an application. Let's put these concepts into practice using the example of Robert and I having differences of opinions in how we do parenting, okay? So let's look at our filters because I mean, you would think by now, 31 years being married, 
lots of similarities. We probably have the exact same filters, right? I mean, we were raised the same way. I mean, our parents were both divorced. Right. So. Yeah. So, I mean, like you would think we were both. So when, how old were you when your parents got divorced? Um, I think they started separating around when I was 11 and 12. So mine's, I was a single parent since four. Yeah. Yeah, your okay. dad left when you were four. Um, but he left, left. He left, left. Uh, your dad. He stuck around was, and he was, he lived close by. So I got to see him all the time. Oh, I think I saw my dad not very often. Mm-hmm. Did your dad pay child support? Uh, and then some, probably twice as much as he was required to. Yeah, my dad didn't pay child support. Did your mom, your mom worked though, right? As a single parent, she had to work. I don't think my mom ever worked a day in her life because my dad took care of her even oh, after he left. My mom worked graveyard shifts to try and make up I know. the difference. And you were like four and she had to go work nights and leave you home alone. So let's say school clothes. Yeah. Uh, How, I, how'd that work out? Were you, you get new school clothes? or Every, did, every did year, once a year. We, oh no, we would go shopping. I get to kind of pick out whatever I wanted. Oh. What'd you do? Uh, I got a job at 14 so I could buy my own clothes. Yeah. Did yeah. you did you buy the latest and greatest? No, I was shopping at Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> I was shopping at Kmart for my clothes. So did you uh, did you have chores and things like that you had to do? Yeah. Like, I was the gardener. I was the... Housekeeper? I was the gardener. And my sister, unfortunately, was the housekeeper. Were you the cook? Yeah, I'd cook for myself. So we cooked and cleaned and we took care of the yard. And, and you know what? It's... It's interesting because, so while we were both raised and we talk about like some dysfunctional relationships about, you know, your parents were fighting, my parents were fighting and, and, and how we've had to kind of overcome and, and relearn some behaviors, our perspectives on responsibility and money and all those things are completely different just based on the way that we we're raised. I was raised probably in a more scarcity mindset. Charlotte was raised in not as much of a scarcity oh, mindset. Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah, it was very different that way. So. Of course, we're going to have different ideas about parenting. We're going to have different values. We're going to have different beliefs. We're going to have, you know, and all of that's because we had different experiences. And because we have these different experiences, we have different ideas when it comes to roles, to responsibilities, to expectations. So when Robert, who grew up as the gardener and the snow shoveler, comes home and he sees our front walkway, is covered in snow, he thinks, of course, like our son should have already noticed it and taken care of it without being asked because you would have done it. And he's capable. And you would have had to have done it. Well, yes. No one else was going to shovel it but me. Exactly. But for me, right, we had, I mean, we didn't have like, you know, we had housekeepers every once in a while and we had a gardener come like every two weeks or something like that. So it wasn't like I, I was thinking of chores in the same way that that you were. So for me, it wouldn't even be something I would have noticed. I mean, I did grow up in Southern California too. But so you probably you know, didn't notice any snow on your walkway. I didn't, but it's not something that I would even be focused on, right? It's not something that I would even notice. And so for me, that would just be one of those things that's in that 1.9 million bits that just goes right past me. And because that's the case for me, that's how I would also feel about my son too. Like I wouldn't necessarily expect a 14-year-old boy to even notice it because I don't even notice it. So for me, when I when Robert comes home and he brings it to my attention, it's sort of like, okay, hey, whatever, no big deal. Let's just grab a shovel, shovel and we'll all go do it together. So you see, neither position really is wrong, especially if you take into account the information that we have, our filters and how we were raised. They're just a different perspective based on what the information we perceive, those 130 bits. Yeah. And 
how our individual upbringing experiences filter that information. Exactly. So what does this mean for you and your relationship? Well, if you or your spouse is adamant that you should see everything the same way, I'm, I'm just laughing while I say it, that would be unreasonable, maybe even dysfunctional, because you are different people. You're different people. You won't think the same way. You won't see the world the same way. And much like Charlotte and I, who seem to have had a similar upbringing, you won't see things the same way. It's actually almost impossible. It's totally impossible. And this is why 69% of conflict just keeps circling around and around, never really being totally solved because we are different people with different filters of our reality. So now guess what? I have good news. This is actually a really, really good thing. There's a purpose for it. There's a benefit to this. Doesn't the, seem like there is at times. There really is. And here's why. Remember, we're only getting 130 bits. That's kind of uh, like, what if we could see more of the world? You know, think about that. There is a purpose in this, in conflict, and it's to increase our capacity to love and to see new ways to see the world and be even open to things that we deleted and in, in different ways of seeing things that are going on around us. Say that again. Well, the purpose of conflict is to increase our capacity to love and to see the world in new ways. Oh, I like that. Would it be good for a marriage to be defined by my past, my values, and my experiences alone? Mm -mm. No, that'd be wrong. Yeah. Would it be good for our marriage to be just defined solely by my past, my values, and my experiences alone? No. No. I think that would be terrible too. So the beauty in conflict is that we can become more open and more curious about seeing the world through our partner's eyes. And in doing so, you actually increase your love and your compassion for that person. This is what successful couples do. The masters, they do it differently. They can see the purpose in conflict and they can even sometimes laugh it off and say, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Same conversation. I guess we're ready to grow again. They find ways to dialogue, compromise, develop empathy as they learn about their partner's position, rather than forcing their position down the other partner's throat just to solve the conflict. Right. Yeah. So what's really important when it comes to conflict is that we keep the door to dialogue open. Perpetual conflicts, as we've said, are normal and natural, but gridlock problems are not. A gridlock problem is a perpetual problem that has been mishandled in the past and it has been building resentment and hurt and the couple has just stopped trying to dialogue about it. Perpetual problems often become gridlocked because someone's dreams or their values are being disregarded and one person is prevailing while the other one is losing. Right. So see, in every position, there is a deeply held ideal or core value. So think of it this way. Here's two people that are fighting, right? And so kind of imagine they've got their fists up. But inside each of their fists is an idea or a value that's so important to them that it goes to the core of their identity. Unconsciously, they believe that if they give in, they're going to give up part of themselves. But if you open up and you look what's inside the fist and what's driving them, you're going to find that it's a very important issue for them. And by discovering what that is, it will help to lead you toward compromise. So going back to our shoveling sidewalk example, it's important to me that our son learn responsibility, 
perseverance and the value of hard work. And that, is that what's in your fist? That's what's important here. Right. So you know what's in mine? Tell me. Well, to me, it's important that he also have a childhood that's full of joy and fun and peace and playfulness and that he feel appreciated and that he feel loved. And your things are really good. There's nothing wrong with your, your things. They're important. And you know what? My things are good, too. The values that are inside my fist, they're important, too. So what if we could find a solution that blends all of those dreams and values into one solution? So I wanted to just like when you said that, I started thinking about it like I don't think my childhood was full of fun and playfulness. Right. And so, so for me, it's like, oh, well, it's not supposed to be fun. But for Charlotte, it's supposed to be fun. And, and talk about like blending two really cool ideas together. And that's why these different perspectives are super important. And I think one of the things that maybe we kind of argue about sometimes is the expectation that he should just recognize that he should do it, right? Because for me, I don't recognize that he should do it. So could we compromise on that where we still do expect it from him, but maybe we send him a text or a reminder and just say, hey, buddy, it's snowing. Could you shovel the walkway? Would that be? I'm down with that. Like I could say, hey, buddy, I just did the driveway. Could you do the walkway or something? Right. Ah, I, I w- that would work. Okay, cool. And then afterwards, could we give him like love on him a lot and tell him how much we appreciate it and give him a lot of praise? I mean, especially if it's going to motivate him to do it again. Right. I like, yeah. I like the carrot. I'll work with a carrot, maybe a little less stick. Yeah, I think so. So as we said earlier, it's not good for a marriage to be defined by one set of values alone. We have to find solutions that honor both sets of dreams. So where do we start? How do we do that? Well, we're going to give you four steps to help you start working towards compromise on these perpetual conflicts or these 69 percenters. right? Right, exactly. So step one, stop arguing your point of view Stop trying to prevail. Stop trying. I love that. Stop trying to prevail. Number two, suspend your own judgment. Remember that you only got 130 bits out of that 2 million bits of information. Your way of seeing the situation is limited. Even though we think we're right, it is a limited perspective and it's not the only perspective to consider. Step three, stop trying to solve the problem. Instead, try to really understand the importance of your partner's position. Why is this so important to them? Which is what's in the fist, right? Yeah, that's generally what's in the fist. And then just ask good questions so that you do truly understand. I A question that I really, really like is just tell me what is important to you about this issue. I love that question. And then just sit back and listen. Don't say anything else. Just sit back and listen and try to really understand again what's in that fist. So Dr. John Gottman says, Quote, keep working on your unresolvable conflicts. Couples who are demanding of their marriage are more likely to have a deeply satisfying union than those who lower their expectations. Close quote. So keep at it. Keep at it. Expect that you are going to have perpetual problems. That's normal. That's natural. And remember, it's even necessary because what does it do? It helps us to increase our capacity for understanding, for empathy, and for love. We promise that when you seek to understand your partner's position, rather than arguing your position, you will gain empathy. You may not be able to solve the problem the way you want it, but you'll be able to dialogue about it in a healthy way that feels good for both parties. And you may even possibly learn to laugh, love, and respect each other in the process. I love that. Okay, so over the next four episodes, we're going to dive more into the art and the science of conflict. 
You're going to want to make sure if you haven't already, you grab our eight pillar download because we'll be referencing that over the next four weeks. We're going to be talking about what's toxic, what's dysfunctional when it comes to conflict, all the things you definitely want to avoid, and some tips of ways for you to create more gentle conflict that keeps the dialogue open and keeps you out of gridlock. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.